0: Hi folks,
1: this is Jack Spurko another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is February the 12th, 2013. And this is episode 2,599 of the Survival Podcast. It's Wednesday. I've been doing some rewinds this week, and we're not done with that. You'll have another rewind tomorrow. I think tomorrow's rewind will fit this episode pretty ironically, honestly. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I think when you hear it tomorrow, you'll be like, oh, I I get it now, why there are tie-ins there. (laughs) Um, But what I tried to do this week was not do all rewinds. I'm getting ready to go down to Belton, Texas for the Mother Earth News Fair, Uh, two presentations I'm delivering down there two days in a row plus exhibiting in a booth. And they're both presentations I've never done before. So that was a pretty high bar for me to be ready this week. So I had to do some rewinds, but I already had this interview scheduled and this was not an interview that I was going to reschedule. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and when you hear about it today, you'll, you'll see why I felt that it needed to be gotten on the air. um, and then Friday with expert counsel. So I was able to give you two new shows this week and three pretty cool rewinds. Today's show is with a guy named Kurt Duger. Kurt is a um, a pilot, but he he flies something called a paramotor, which is kind of like a a glider and a fan and a lawn chair strapped to your ass. Uh, not the safest way to travel, but really really cool. And he embarked on a journey to attempt to fly across the entire state of Tennessee. Let me explain something about Tennessee for people that don't know. If you fly across Tennessee or drive across Tennessee directly north to south, especially if you're in the center of the state, it doesn't take very long. Flying across Tennessee, the long dimension. Tennessee is a big, big, big state. And you're talking to a guy from Texas. I'm telling you, if you drive through Tennessee... Tip to tip, it is a long trip. He didn't quite make it. He'll tell you about why he didn't quite make it today. But he did raise some money for an organization called the Dark Horse Lodge. And as much as Kent is here today to talk about his 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 uh, adventure, uh, flying this crazy machine, he's here to talk to you more about the Dark Horse Lodge, which is an organization that's designed to help veterans come back to the world and to prevent suicides in veterans. This is a... A very close topic to my heart. Um, You know, having gone through the world and changed over the years since I served and becoming an anarchist, I think sometimes people think that I don't value our servicemen or what have you, and that nothing could be further than the truth. Uh, Kurt is a Marine, and they said there's no such thing as an ex Marine. Uh, In the Army, we'll often say we're ex Army. Um, But I think there is that same spirit. Like, if you become a soldier, you're a soldier. You can't unbe a soldier. You will be a soldier forever. And if you were an airborne soldier, you will be in that brotherhood forever. And, and, that, and that's my background. I've never forgotten my time in the, in the military. I've never forgotten the great gift that it was to me. For all of the things I think we do with our military today that's a mistake around the world, uh, and many of our military members are the first ones to tell you that some of the things we're doing today is, is incredibly uh, wasteful of human life. Um, the Army gave me some real positives in my life. It, it may have saved me from myself in a big way. But it also did change me in a way that made it impossible for me to simply reenter society. And when I came home, I tried to go back. And I'll tell you more about that tomorrow, so I won't I won't be it today. But I ended up having to take a pretty long walk in the woods, and I eventually came here to Texas. And even when I got here, and I was living with an Army buddy who I served with, so you have someone to talk to that not only was there, but was there with you, it still took me a long time. And it was only three years that I served. And I did not serve in a combat theater. I did not see people die in front of me left and right. I did not worry about IEDs going off. And it still was difficult. And to think about what it must be like today to come home from a place like Afghanistan or Iraq and have no one really give a shit. People always say they care, but in the end, if you look at what the way people are treated, we don't care. And then try to put your life back together. There's going to be some portion of those people... That have a real hard time doing it, and I'm going to tell you what they need from personal experience more than anything else: time. They need time. Maybe it's at the Dark Horse Lodge. Maybe it's with the Wolf Rescues. One of the amazing things I've seen is the, the, the Veterans Wolf Rescue Project. Maybe it's walking a trail. Maybe it's just something else. But what they need is time to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of this life that lays out in front of me. And under the best circumstances, they need some time. Some of them are coming home with injuries you can't see. Some of them are coming home with injuries you can see. And all of them are coming home with scars whether you see them or not. Kurt's going to talk to you about an organization today that's making a difference. Not for all of them. For some. For the ones that can. He's going to tell you about adventure he went on, you know, it didn't change the world. But the simple acts we can do that help one or two people, in the end, they do change the world. And that's what we're going to be talking about with with Kurt in just a bit. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is RidgeWallet.com. I I love RidgeWallet because it's helped me become more of a minimalist. Um, I didn't think I'd like it. When they first approached me about being a sponsor, I'm like, well, send me some product and I'll see. And, you know, they sent it to me and I'm like, I got all this stuff, my challenge coin, it's not going to fit, and uh, this other stuff. And I'm like, you know what, just put whatever fits in it in it, carry it for a month, and after a month, if you don't like it, get your billfold back in your back pocket. And my billfold, I don't even know where it is, has gone. It's been over two years, and I'm never going back. It's just a better way uh, to carry the things that you need with you on you. The Ridge Wallet. Check it out at ridgewallet.com. Next up, Backwoods Home Magazine. I have been listening. You know, I was just talking about getting out of the Army. Well, when I got out of the Army, it was 1993. Yeah, I'm old. And uh, it was in the later half of 93 that I came down here to Texas, and my car immediately broke down. I mean, like, I literally didn't get here. I was like 20 miles from my friend's house, and my car broke down on the side of the road. And it was a, a significant enough problem that it was a while without a car. He had to tow me to his house. And um, <laughs> I, I ended with no car. And I was on unemployment and uh, trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I, I would walk up to this mall that was about a mile from his house, buy a coffee, and go through want ads and read magazines. And I found Backwoods Home Magazine, and it was was something I was really looking for, a way to reconnect with my country roots. And I was living in this big city, and I didn't have a pot to piss in and what have you. I started reading it. And when I got a job and, you know, had some income and solved my basic problems, Backwoods Home was the first magazine I ever subscribed to in my life. And that was by 1994 I had subscribed to Backwoods Home. And I've been a subscriber to Backwoods Home ever since. It comes to me every month even now. The only time that I wasn't a subscriber was about the year and a half they went away. And I was so happy when they came back. And as soon as they came back, they wanted to sponsor the show again. So you bet I said yes. Backwoods Home was just awesome. It's everything you want to know. It's the the Journal of Self-Reliance, Independence, and Liberty. Check them out today at com. All right, let's get our uh, special guests on with us now. I actually have two guests. Kurt uh, is going to be on, who I've already talked about, along with Gretchen. Uh, Gretchen Catherwood, who is actually... Uh, part of a husband and wife team that have built the Dark Horse Lodge. And so I'm gonna have both of them. I just wanted to be clear about something that <clears throat> could get a little confusing during the interview, uh, if, if I don't point it out up front. Kurt Duger is, uh, supporting this with his efforts, with his, uh, with his flight. And Gretchen and her husband Kirk are married and building the retreat. So you will hear Kurt and Kirk During this, and they are two different people that have uh, uh, voices or uh, names that sound quite similar. With that, uh, Kurt and uh, Gretchen, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
2: Thanks, Jack. It's great to be here.
1: Hey, uh, you know, now I've got two of you. I didn't know that. I got bamboozled into doing an evening interview. Uh, now I got two people thought I had one. So I'm going to let y'all figure out who goes first, but why don't both of y'all tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and don't plow into Dark Horse Lodge or flying around like fan man on a, uh, on a chair. <laughs> just like connect with the audience. Like tell us like go back to like high school, trying to figure out your life and how you end up where you are now. Something like that. Just so the audience knows who they're, they're listening to today.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I'm Kurt Duggar. I grew up in West Tennessee. Um, went into the Marine Corps. Graduated high school in 2000 and uh, stayed there until 2008. I was infantry there, went to Iraq and Afghanistan, decided to get out, and somewhere along the way decided that flying in a lawn chair would probably be the greatest thing on Earth (laughs) and ran into the Cather Woods and Dark Horse Lodge and... And here we are. And here we are.
3: <laughs> and I'm Gretchen Catherwood. I was born and raised in northern Illinois, married a soldier, and we lived all over the place from Fort Gordon, Georgia, to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, to Germany, where both of our kids were born, and uh, moved back to the States and raised our children in um, Kingston, Illinois, and then Byron, Illinois, where both of our kids went to high school and our son joined the Marine Corps. And my daughter married a Marine and um, ended up down here in West Tennessee after our son was killed in Afghanistan in 2010.
1: Okay, well, Kurt, this one's for you then. Because you, you're the, the, the guy flying around in a lawn chair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Explain what a paramotor is and how it works.
2: <laughs> it's everybody's first question. Man, it's awesome. It's, it's actually it's two pieces. You've got the, the glider part, which looks kind of like a parachute. And it doesn't work like a parachute. It works like an airplane wing. So it's got to have some airspeed to make it fly. And then you have the motor part, which you wear kind of like a backpack. And it's got a harness and a little seat built into it. And the way it all works together is you start out on the ground with the glider laid out behind you. You've got the motor on your back with a propeller turning. And when you're ready to launch, you start running and pull the glider up behind you. And when it catches (laughs) the wind, then you hit the throttle on the motor. And then you just run into the sky and keep going. And That's about it.
1: And so how does that? Connect to something called Dark Horse Lodge. What do those (laughs) two things have to do with each other, and what is a Dark Horse Lodge?
2: Oh, man, yeah, probably need to go into that first.
3: Dark Horse Lodge is a retreat um, for combat veterans that my husband, Kirk, and I are building here in Springville, Tennessee, in honor and memory of our son, um, Lance Corporal Alec Catherwood, and his 24 Marine Corps brothers who were killed in Afghanistan in 2010-2011 deployment to Helmand Province, Afghanistan. So uh, the 3-5 Dark Horse unit, we lost 25 Marines and had over 200 severely wounded. Um, Dark Horse Lodge will be a place for combat veterans of all branches of service, all wars and conflicts, men and women of all different ages. Give them a place to come 25 um, at a time. Each one, each one will have a bedroom named after one of our Marines who was killed from the 3-5 Dark Horse unit. And we'll give them a place to come for a week free of charge. Just give them a place to hang out with other combat veterans um, who've been where they've been, whether literally or figuratively. You know, they can be a 85-year-old Korean War veteran um, hanging out with a 25-year-old Afghanistan veteran. You know, just um, just a place where people get get who they are and where they've been.
1: You know, this is a big issue for me, and it's something that I, I have a view into that over the years of doing this show has been bounced off me by the audience, and I've adopted as probably being true, and it goes back to, if you think about what some of the guys that fought World War II went through, mm-hmm. it is, it is earth-shattering, it is... And I don't want to make comparisons between the eras, but there is, there are guys that came back from World War II that saw as bad or worse than anything that guys that came back today saw, mm-hmm. yeah. and yet they seem, they seem to have adopted or uh, um, re-entered society a lot easier than than what's going on today or has happened since Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And my, my belief is, and I, I think this is pretty well grounded, and that's why I think what you're doing is so beneficial, is it has to do with how you get home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. in World War II, when you were done, you got on a ship, and you spent up to three months right. surrounded by men who dealt with what you dealt with,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you decompressed before you got home. Additionally, mm-hmm. when they came home, for the majority of them, it was done
0: yeah, they were right.
1: finished it happened and there was a there was a conclusion to it and in mm-hmm. this case it was victorious but even if it hadn't been it was done
2: mm-hmm. yeah it was over
1: from and korea there's a whole new way of scarring people with the forgotten war but it pretty much was the same you came home on a ship with people who went through it and it was over from vietnam mm-hmm. forward we have had men that were literally in the middle of battle one day
2: mm-hmm.
1: and sitting with their parents having Sunday dinner the next
2: mm-hmm.
1: with absolutely no time with people that understood what happened. And there's a, 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 an old movie, uh, Hamburger Hill. Mm-hmm. and they're, In that movie, there's a very good description of this. There's a, a guy that says you know, he goes home and he tells his mom, pass the effing potatoes, and he uses the, the full word. Sure. And he, a guy that would have never said that in front of his mother before, and mm-hmm. that shock of reentry is something that I think our military and our government has done nothing, nothing to deal with. And the right. fact that you are putting together something not for these guys to come be with people that are like, "Oh, tell me about your feelings," no, but come be with people who did the same thing, right. and then the multi generational aspect mm-hmm. is very powerful because. I got through it or I'm still struggling with it and having the timelines and that differential, I think that's what these guys need. They need time to be with people that actually understand because yeah, I don't care how much psychology you took. You do not understand coming back from being a soldier or a Marine or an airman or whatever, a sailor, if you didn't do it.
2: You can't. Right. right. And you can't explain it to somebody that hasn't really been there and felt it and seen it. It goes both ways. Which
3: is why we are we are a retreat for combat veterans and not service veterans. Now, you know, when we do have people that say, how come not service veterans? And we say, well, because combat veterans are in a unique position to understand what the others have gone through. Once we get this up and running, if we are a huge success, which we think we will be, who knows? Maybe one day down the line, we will be able to open one for service veterans. We will be able to open one for, uh, firefighters and police officers and first responders, which would be phenomenal. But right now, our main goal is to get this one up and running. And as my husband says, um, he was a, he's a Gulf War veteran. He says, you know, he's, he's got the, the Vietnam veterans to, to thank and, and they mentored him. And now it's his turn to mentor some of these younger guys, you know, these multi-generational, um veterans need to be here for each other to to understand what the other's gone through and to be able to help each other through it
1: so moving over to kurt now you you did a flight to raise money to help support dark horse lodge where did the idea for that come from
2: the idea from that really the idea to the flight across the state really came from about the first time i decided to get into paramotive before i even thought about training for it hmm. i thought that's a really cool thing, and flying across the state would be a really cool thing to do, and it just kind of grew from there. But uh, to do it for Dark Horse, I knew I wanted to do the flight. I knew I wanted to have – it needed to have some purpose outside of, yay, we flew across Tennessee, great. It had to have something meaningful behind it. And I've, I've known the Cather Woods for a while and seen what they've been doing at Dark Horse over the last couple of years, and it has been phenomenal and i just decided that that's what it was going to go for last year took off in october did not make it across the state i want to say we flew 260 280 miles before the weather finally shut it down that the last flight was definitely the scariest flight of my life that was, that was yeah a very interesting story it was intense. but uh But this year, it's looking like it's going to be a whole different animal, whereas last year it was me. So far this year, we've got six pilots confirmed, maybe six to ten, and we've got motorcycles involved somewhere between six and 20-ish now with ground support and various airport managers along the way. It has grown quite a bit. Yeah.
1: You know, um, I I was talking about this before I got you all on and i said when when somebody hears fly across tennessee there's two ways to get across tennessee <laughs> and uh most people that have never driven it have no idea yeah. and if you were going you know kentucky south it's, <laughs> it's pretty quick yeah.
2: yeah it doesn't take very long to go to
1: that no yeah. no but the first time i drove uh I, I grew up in pennsylvania and i moved to texas back in 1993 after i got out of the military, and. uh the first time I drove through Tennessee, I was like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> it felt like the Twilight Zone.
2: It just no, it's just going. forever.
1: Because you're like, okay, you get you, 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 you get okay, you know, because you when you're driving across the country, every time you cross a state border, you feel like you did something. It helps keep things moving along. So you yeah, get yeah. to like the border with with Virginia, and you see a thing that says, this is Knoxville, like 180 miles.
2: Yeah, you you're don't like, get that in our
1: state. Uh, right that's now. gotta be that's gotta be pretty well across no. No, oh, you get to Knoxville, it's like started. 200 miles to Nashville. And you're like, isn't that in the middle? <laughs> it's getting <laughs> it, close to that, yeah. Memphis is forever. From I mean, it's like, and by the way, about 20 miles um, to the the west of Nashville, I'm convinced it just rains there forever.
0: <laughs> it
1: never stops. It always rains in that area. And I drove it with an open U-Haul trailer, so I know.
0: Uh, right. But, yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a
1: journey you, you, you went on. I mean, it's – it's it, it, you okay. can feel like crossing Tennessee can feel like crossing Delaware or it can feel like crossing <laughs> Texas, depending on how you do it. And I kind of yeah. think you were going the point-to-point point long way.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going from uh,
3: yeah. west from east.
2: the west to east oh. all the way across. And you kind it makes it a little bit longer because we can't go straight across Nashville because that's a whole lot of heavy air traffic and mm-hmm. things. That I don't want to get in the middle of it, so we're actually – Dropping down to Tullahoma below Nashville and then coming back up, which stretches us out just a little bit longer.
3: And then when he gets I, to I the think he'd he he
2: get
1: hit by
3: a 737
1: top. would just screw things up for a
3: guy. Yeah, that,
2: that'd, be a, that'd be a bad day. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. And then the mountains. He's got to deal with the mountains and all that.
2: Oh, yeah, that's what wrapped it up last time. So let's keep yeah. pinging,
3: pinging back and forth here.
1: On, on the Dark Horse Lodge, what made you uh, and your husband, Gretchen, decide to build the lodge?
3: Well, when we moved down here to Tennessee, um, it was a solid eight months of laying awake, trying to figure out what it was that we could do for those who came home. Because when they had the remembrance ceremony on Camp Pendleton in April of 2011, um, standing toe-to-toe and looking in the eyes of these guys who came home and just seeing the pain um, and some of the things that they were going through by looking in their eyes, um, it really affected me quite profoundly. And so I said to Kirk, you know, we 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 live in this really beautiful place now. There's got to be a way that we can share it. And he said, you know, <laughs> this isn't what we came down here for. We came down here to retire eventually, and this is biting off more than we can chew. Um, and then my daughter and I flew out to California to attend a memorial service for, um, well, not a memorial service, but they dedicated a monument out there. And, um, we went to dinner with some of the boys and they started talking in the parking lot after dinner. And one of them, after getting into a pretty, pretty deep conversation, one of them said, you know, this is the first time I've been able to talk about that day, meaning the day that Alec and Joey died. And, um, and so on the plane on the way home, I said to my daughter, you know, that's it. We, this is something that we have to do. And I went home and talked to my husband. He goes, okay, I'm on board. And so that was when we applied for our 501C3, and it just kind of um, took shape from there. We sold our home and bought five acres from the lodge um, property. And my husband is single-handedly, literally, um, single-handedly building our home as we speak, uh, while working full-time. It's taken him three years, but we are living immediately next door so that we can take care of what needs to be taken care of at any given time. So, um, that's what we're doing, you know, and, and he really thought we were coming down here to retire and we are finding ourselves working harder than we ever have before and we will until we die. But, but to be honest with you, this is something that I wish somebody would have done for Alec had he been able to come home you know he he was 19 years old and and i can't do anything anymore for my son but i can for the sons and daughters of other mothers you know and and to to talk to some of these men and women and to look in their eyes um there's nothing i'd rather do
1: you know the thing is it's 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 really a beautiful thing because there are so many of those people who their biggest pain is they knew someone like your son that didn't come home. Right. And they have guilt. They carry guilt because they came home and that person didn't. Oh, sure. And they need to understand that the best thing they can do for those fallen comrades is live for them.
3: 100%. Because they can't.
1: They can't. Right. Right. Now, Gretchen, you said you, you, you kind of told me you move you bounced around a lot, and and military yeah. family, you're going to do that. What made you guys decide on Tennessee? Was it just where you were, and and growing where you're, you're planted, or was it like something that made you move there,
2: or, or what? Some people just have good taste in where <laughs> they decide to live. That's really
3: <laughs> well. Honestly, we country. were in northern Illinois, and we lived. Actually, Kirk and I were both born and raised well, like in I was northern say, Illinois. you
1: were in <laughs> Illinois, and you wanted to do something positive. So you you had to leave, right? That was that was a given. Like it's impossible to do anything good in Illinois. So
3: (laughs) I know, I know. Well, after he got out of the military, we ended up back in Illinois because that's where our families were. But quite honestly, um, the winter of 2010-2011 got to be so intense that I said, you know what, we need to get out of here. And Kirk finally said, after a four foot snowfall, he's like, I'm with you. So we just started looking for property in Kentucky and Tennessee and, um, just ended up in West Tennessee. Alec was engaged when he was killed and, um, his fiance's aunt is a realtor in here in Tennessee and she ended up finding us a home that we purchased and, um, ended up selling <laughs> to, uh, to realize this dream of Dark Horse Lodge. And so that's where we're at. We, we just wanted to get away from the snow. Um, and, and so here we are.
1: You know, um, Kurt makes a joke and says some people just have good taste moving to Tennessee. But the, the truth is, when Dorothy and I occasionally talk about, like, if we ever left Texas, where would we go? There's only yeah. two places that we ever even talk about. And one is one is Tennessee, and the other is Florida. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and, and Florida would require, like, winning Florida.
1: the lottery. Because I'm not living in Florida unless I have, like, you know, a beach house you see on TV. Like, that's, <laughs>
0: right. that. Right.
1: Florida would be great if I lived, like, on the coast and had a yacht. Um, exactly. if I wanted to live in another state, Tennessee, for a lot of reasons, including the freedoms, is, is why we would we would go there. So yeah. it's a good place to be. And I think you get you still get the season changes and you get some snow, but you don't get the eternal winter of damnation.
3: Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you we, don't have the don't government have the here.
1: you know, because I always said, like, if you have something you really want to do, you'll you'll eventually figure out what that is. And then you'll be like, I have. To figure out, first thing is how to fund it, right? And then you will, if you really believe in something, you will figure out how to do that. Yes. And you'll find that your bigger impediment will be the government. Right. And there's a lot less government in Tennessee. Um, as you have tried to fund this and and look for support, what kind of supporters have you found for your lodge?
3: Um, pretty much the best ones in the United States of America. <laughs> I mean, truly, truly, we we don't have a ton, but the ones we have are. Fiercely dedicated and um, really motivated. We've got people from across the country. Um, tons of our supporters come from Northern Illinois, where we moved from. We've got great, great friends still there. Um, we've got people from the UAW um, who have just been really great supporters, friends of ours. We've got a bunch of motorcycle groups, a ton of veteran groups. We've got a lady on the next road that literally, and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, every month she sends us either a $2 or a $3 check. Wow. And so that's how we're building Dark Horse Lodge. You know, we don't have million dollar sponsors here. We're talking five and twenty and fifty and a hundred dollars at a time. That's how we're building this. And, and we've got the buildings on site. We've got the exteriors done. We've got the electric and the plumbing and the HVAC systems in place. And we're working on drywall now. You know, we've got enough to complete the interiors. And then we'll work on appliances and boats and motors and trailers, and we plan on taking these guys out fishing on Kentucky Lake and just give them a really peaceful place to hang out with other people who have been where they've been.
1: You know, the one thing you've got going for you is, uh, as much as you're trying to make it nice for them, (laughs) veterans who have been deployed do not have an expectation of the Hilton, right? So, like, Oh. you don't have to worry about having caviar laid out. You just need a place that's comfortable and a place where they can be with other people that understand them.
2: Right. See, I keep saying that, that we're extremely low maintenance, and they're making this place just beautiful.
3: Well, and, 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 and they're not getting caviar, and they're not getting the Hilton. As a matter no. of fact, a lot of civilians, when they come visit the lodge, and we do get a lot of visitors, and we encourage and welcome visitors, but people look at our shower house, and they're like, so, wait, you're going to make them shower in a cinder block building? I'm saying yes, because quite honestly, this is a Taj Mahal compared to where they've been.
2: Yeah, we're like, wow, we can sleep indoors and take showers and stuff and out so we'll in the woods. Yeah, this, yeah, we'll, is, this is phenomenal. <laughs>
3: we'll have heat and we'll have hot water and we'll have privacy and 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 heating and air. And, and you know, it's it's not the Taj Mahal and it's not the Hilton, but and it's And it wouldn't adequate. work if it was.
1: No, right. it wouldn't, and I'll tell you, there is some sort of level of nostalgia for some of it being a little bit like it was. Yep. Um, I I'm not, I don't line up to sleep on a uh, on an old style cot, but <laughs> occasionally, if I do, it kind of is. It kind of feels good, right? You know yeah. what I mean. And I, I, I my grandfather was a World War II veteran, and I remember one time that we we went hunting together and. Um, the the guy that set things up for us had a mattress on the floor and a cot set up for us in the little cabin we were staying in. And I figured, well, I'll sleep on the cot because, well, Grandpa gets the mattress. He wanted the cot. Yeah. It, it's it's, it's, it's kind of in. a strange thing. You know, I don't think he would have wanted to, If it would have been a month, I think I would have been on the cot. Right. <laughs> but, right. you know, for like a weekend, a long weekend hunting trip, he wanted the cot because it made him remember you know and it was it was something that that and i think like i said for what y'all are doing a little bit of that is probably good now i will tell you that i remember a sergeant telling me one time that you know you when you when you get back in the real world you'll take a cold shower once in a while just so you can remember how good you have it and the answer, <laughs> no no i won't <laughs> i don't need to i don't right. need to do that at all um but that's awesome, and, and having people that are willing to support at any level tells you that what you're doing is worth supporting. Um, yeah.
2: Kurt, did uh, you? It's meet- already made a huge impact on a lot of different people. Okay, me being one of them, I, I,
1: I can tell, man. And, and did you meet any uh, interesting folks along your flight?
2: Uh, oh man, cool! I people. met some extremely cool people. Very along cool the way. people. Let's see, one of the one of one that really springs to mind every single time. Okay, when I when I was sixteen, I was not a completely irresponsible kid. You know, I could drive myself, I had a job, I'd go to work, all that kind of stuff. But I was not someone you would probably entrust with running an entire airport by myself. And I ran across a sixteen year old in Jamestown who was I landed, dropped out of the sky kinda out of nowhere, and he walked up and he was running the entire show.
3: He was incredible.
2: Whole airport all by himself. He was a really awesome dude. Anybody Neat that talks kid. about, well, all the millennials are worthless, all that kind of stuff, no. Neat kid. He definitely, definitely broke that. Yeah. As soon as I hit the ground, he had us lined up to refuel at the fuel farm and gave us a quick walk through the airport. Very, very well put together dude.
3: We had a guy that was taken off, and he gave us a $20 bill.
2: <laughs> yeah, I forgot about he him. He just
3: donated $20.
2: At Smithville, yeah. yeah That's pretty cool. That's Let's awesome. Let's see. Yeah. I ran into ran into a paramotor pilot in Smithville, didn't expect that coming. It seemed like pretty much everywhere I touched the ground there was always somebody there that was couldn't wait to help. Right. When I got to Beach River the first night, of course didn't have ground support there or anything. I was just planning on sleeping, throwing a bivy sack out in the front yard. And I touched down, turned out during their board meeting and they kind of came out wondering why this crazy guy in a lawn chair <laughs> fell out of the sky, which took me, took me a minute to explain that. But as soon as they heard Dark Horse Lodge, cause several of them had already, already knew about it and I told them what I was trying to do, they pretty much gave me the keys to the whole place for the night. Yeah, to have cool. a place to stay indoors, coffee maker, snack machine. They gave me the keys to the car. So if I wanted to run in town, I could have it, whatever I needed. It was really cool. Pretty much everywhere we stopped along the way, there was there were people that could not wait to help us out.
1: You know, it's easy to come down on people. Millennials is like one. You know, eating Tide Pods doesn't help your cause. Um, <laughs> but I, I, when when people like lose faith in in people in general, and I call myself perennial optimist, I'm like, you you, you don't get out enough. Yeah, right. And I think getting out in a, a flying sure. lawn chair is getting out, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's actually getting out there. But if you get out and meet people across this this country and frankly this world, um, right. it restores your faith in humanity because you're actually talking to people. I think yeah. I think people have a hard time understanding that what they show you on the internet and what they show you on TV and the radio, et cetera, or the record player, if you're you know Joe Biden, <laughs> um, is the worst. They show right, you the worst, and then they show you the the extreme that they think is the best that really isn't. If you want yeah. to meet the people that are the best, which are the most people, go out and talk to people. You'll actually – damn, when I said that, I just thought, man, I've gone out and talked to some people sometimes, and it didn't work out. Okay, <laughs> If you sometimes. do this long enough, you will meet people that will restore your faith. You will meet some that will make you shake your head, I
2: promise you. But I think there's always that. But Overall, I think there's a lot more good ones than not. Yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And we found that after Alec died. I mean, we, we really, we had no clue the amount of people that would come out of the woodwork in support of our family. Um, and, and they have since become really super fantastic friends. You know, I mean, we met more good people than bad. Yes, we did have the Westboro Baptist Church people try to oh. show up. Uh, our, find our son's funeral, and we had people at the gas station that gave them the directions to the wrong wrong cemetery, <laughs> you know? But we had an incredible amount of supporters that were there to handle it in case they did show up, you know? And we our very first people in line at the visitation were from Scotland. They were visiting from Scotland, and they heard about our son, and they showed up at the visitation. I mean, who does that? You know, we we really we really found some real love from people that we never expected before. So it's it's been an incredible journey, and it's been you know ten years October, hard to believe. But um, what we've learned in the process is all of these people, um, probably a good 95% of the people in our lives, are gifts to us from Alec. You know, because he lived or because he died, we know these people, and that includes you, and that includes Kurt. You know, all these incredible people are gifts to us from our son. And so we choose not to squander that gift, um, and and we're going to celebrate that and do what we can with it.
1: I'll just tell you, because I don't know any other way to say it, that every time I hear you talk about losing your son, it breaks my heart for you. Um, And I know that you heal as best you can. I know that you go on. I know you make something great out of it. But my son's 30, so he's about a year older than your son would be if my math is right from what I've heard so far.
2: Right.
1: And to think about the fact that I could have lost him right. in the same situation gives me an empathy for y'all that it is hard, hard not to mention. Um, and the other side of it is life itself is dangerous, and, and, and soldiers die in combat, but soldiers die in training. Right. Uh, and people die all the time. There's the old saying that everybody everybody dies but not everybody lives. True. And I think what really causes the effect you're talking about with 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 these gifts from someone that's passed is the fact that they lived right that they lived doing what they believed in. They lived doing what they thought was right, and they, they, weren't afraid, they weren't afraid to live in the way that they felt needed to be done. Right. And so um, I, I wish that you didn't have to deal with this, but I am inspired by the way that you are.
3: Well, we, we appreciate, um, the time that you've taken and letting us tell our story and, and, you know, learning about Kurt's journey because he is, he's an incredible young man and we, we really are so grateful for Kurt. I mean, his wife Kate and I were, we were the ground crew last year. It was just she and I (laughs) (laughs) driving along as he was flying and it was interesting. This year promises to be epic with all these people that are involved. so exciting, and Kurt is putting a ton of time and a ton of effort into this, and it promises to be just really super exciting.
1: So, we've, we've talked about the Dark Horse Lodge. What is Dark Horse 25?
2: Are you
3: in Dark Horse 450?
1: Well, maybe it is, but it says Dark Horse 25 on your uh, notes here. I know you're a Marine. Sometimes they get numbers yeah. wrong.
2: Yeah, that, that's probably exactly how that happened. <laughs> well, the 25. We, I thought it was
3: Dark Horse dark.
1: 450, but it says Dark Horse 25 here. Numbers are hard.
3: Well, the, the three five twenty five are okay. the group of we lost twenty five Dark Horse Marines. Okay. <laughs> <And I also laughs> three five <laughs> on Camp Pendleton. So that's where the name Dark Horse came from. So we are Dark Horse Lodge in honor of the 25 Marines who were killed from that unit. And so Dark Horse Lodge will have 25 bedrooms, each one named for one of the boys that was killed in that deployment. Now, the Dark Horse 450 is Kurt's flight that will take him 450 miles from West Tennessee to East Tennessee. Yeah. So that's where the 450 came from. The 25 Marines are the Dark Horse, the the 3525. Those were the 25 Marines that were killed, and the 450 is the 450 miles that Kurt will fly over the state of Tennessee. That's the plan. That's the plan.
2: And yeah, that's, that's where the name came from. It's, it's going to be about a 450-mile flight altogether.
1: And, and, Kurt, like, that kind of actually is a pretty good answer to this question, but you guys did end up having to, to call it early uh last time and the fact it's 450 miles alone and it's your first attempt at something like this is a good reason but was there other things that led to having to, to pull up a little short
2: uh yeah for sure well okay for one thing starting this flight when i tried it for the first time last year i was a 50 hour pilot very very low time paramotor pilot i really can't tell you how many people i had they told me i probably needed to wait on this and they might have been right because my skill level was definitely not top notch we'll say but i figured i'd make it as far as i could and when it got too dangerous i would quit the uh what finally led to me calling it the very last flight going from jamestown to scott airport where i met that really cool 16 year old jamestown right paramotors we don't fly during the middle of the day We generally like to fly in the beginning of the day and the end of the day because the air is a lot calmer. It's like Mm -hmm. there's not nearly as much sunshine out, not nearly as much thermals. There's not that many wind gusts. It's a lot safer place to fly. We're a very light aircraft, very susceptible to wind. Well, excuse me, because I had to make one more flight and I really wanted to make one more, I decided I was going to go ahead and launch out of Jamestown at noon, which is like the roughest time of the day to go up. And I was fighting the crosswind all the way to Scott and I got my butt kicked for an hour straight. Mm. It was, it was something special.
3: And then he got his and butt <laughs> kicked from his wife when he landed. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I had some, I had some great times during the flight, but yeah, the end of it was really <laughs> what sealed the deal. When I got, I was about 1500 feet trying to descend going to Scott airport and the thermals, sun hitting the ground and it heats up the ground and the, Heat goes up in a big column, kind of like a tornado, right? If you notice buzzers flying around, that's what they're doing. They're riding that column of warm air. Well, when it gets really sharp, those columns can be quite exciting, we'll say. Just as an example, my, my climb rate on a good day is about 400 feet a minute. My motor's running good. Everything's running perfect in good, clean air, right? While I was trying to descend going down to Scott County, there were times I was hitting thermals that were blasting me back up at 800 feet a minute nearly twice my best climb rate yeah you ever yeah. you ever been on the most intense roller coaster you could imagine it was kind of like that and it makes it a lot more fun because you know at the top of a roller coaster you'll get kind of light in your seat and then you go back down mm-hmm. and because of the way paramotors work they rely on the weight of the pilot pulling down to help the wing maintain its shape so if you put yourself in a position where you're, you got negative G's where your body weight is not pulling down on the wing, your wing will not be a wing anymore. It'll change shape and just kind of turn into a little fluttery bag over your head. So the whole time all this is going on, you've got to really fight the controls and make sure you're always maintaining good positive G's just to keep your wing open and inflated. And then we're, uh, <laughs> When I got close to the airport, Kate and Gretchen sent me a text and asked me if I could, uh, wait to land just a little bit because they hadn't got to see me land yet and Gretchen really wanted to see a landing because she thought it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that text and I was, I was like five minutes from landing, I thought. <laughs> And I said, there is no way in hell I'm staying up here anymore. I've got to get this thing on the ground yeah. now or yesterday if I can, right? Well, it turns out they had plenty of time to see the landing because yeah. it took me another 20 minutes fighting down to the ground. Kate said she knew I was in trouble. When she saw my flip, me flipping my wing ninety degrees to yeah. the side. I'm
3: yeah. just glad I had no idea what he was doing because it was super exciting on yeah. my from yeah. my perspective. <laughs> I got on the ground. Gretchen said that was so cool. This and I thought, is great. No, that was not cool.
2: <laughs> And Kate said, "You are in so much trouble right now. I'm not even going to talk to you."
3: <laughs> yeah, his wife was not happy.
2: But yeah, that uh, that really that. I'm glad I made that last flight because it really opened my eyes to a lot of things as far as the dark horse lies and the whole purpose of the flight. And I didn't really realize it until the ride home. But then I thought, you know, that last flight was exactly like going through combat and then coming home.
3: Pretty intense. Uh,
2: Because there were times on that flight it was beautiful and I was having a ball and it was fun and I was fighting the air and I was having a good time. And there were times that I was absolutely scared to death and I was 100% sure that I was about to be... A part of Tennessee's landscape. Yeah. And then when I got close to landing, I was trying to get down to the ground, but I couldn't find a good place to do it. I didn't know how to get there. It wasn't that I didn't want to. wanted to be on the ground where everybody was nice and safe, but I didn't know how to get there. I couldn't find a safe place to get down. Gretchen was watching, and she thought everything I was doing was the coolest thing in the world. She didn't yeah. have any reference that right. that it was a bad situation kate knew there were problems going on she knew i was in trouble yeah she did but there was nothing she could do about it right she could watch but she didn't have any way to help me out the only thing the only thing that really could have helped me out in that situation would have been another pilot who was familiar with the area to jump on the radio and say hey man if you go over here to this little patch of trees you'll probably find some cool air and you Mm -hmm. can drop down in that that's really the only thing that could have helped me in that situation was somebody else who would have been there
3: super great metaphor
2: which it is, is go go exactly ahead,
3: go
2: ahead no that's that's exactly what dark horse lodge has been already and i think that's the most valuable thing no matter what else they managed to do here i think being able to make that connection i don't think there's anything more valuable that you could do for guys coming home
1: well, and what what makes that metaphor complete, then is that the only person that could really, like everybody here can listen to that and kind of feel it and kind of get it, but the only person that could really understand it is someone that's actually flown that way. No one can right, yeah. ever understand exactly what you said and the feeling in your stomach and your gut and your heart, except yep. someone that's done it as well and been right. through it. And there's no way anybody else can ever actually understand it. They can empathize. But they can't sure. understand, and those are two very, very different things. So after all that right. craziness, you're going to try this again.
2: No doubt. I know. <laughs> I know. There was, as soon as my feet hit the ground in Scott, and I knew that was the end of the flight, I was planning the next year's run. There was never a question.
3: I tell you what, though, they have to sign some serious waivers because <laughs> my, heart, my, my heart can't take it. My heart can't take it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, but you know what? They they're incredible guys and it's going to be uh, the only word I can think of is epic. I mean, truly epic adventure this year.
2: I mean, I'm going to say even right now as many different people just in planning this year's flight, the number of people who know the name Dark Horse Lives that didn't know it a month ago. Right. It's already worth it. It's right. Massive. Right. Massive.
1: And if you had right. started this out and said, "I'm going to I'm going to do this as soon as I get some people to do it with me." You still wouldn't have done no. it. But exactly. by just going out and just doing it, following a little Air Jordan there, now you've got <laughs> yes. people that want to do it with you. Isn't that interesting that when That's someone true. actually steps up and does something, other yeah. people want to do it too. But if you invite people to do something uh, without doing it yourself, they tend not to. It's, it's That's true. human nature
2: yeah. there. That was very true, and I understand it's a crazy thing to do, and it's it's hard to do something like this until you've seen somebody else make an attempt at it first. Right, it can be intimidating. I get it.
3: Right,
2: man. That's that's why I did it last year by myself.
3: But he's quite the trailblazer. I'll tell you what, it was pretty intense watching him do it by himself last year. It was really intense. That was fun.
1: Well, he's done a lot to help support Dark Horse Lodge and get your name out there and and people knowing it. yeah. What do y'all need right now what what can people do to help Dark Horse Lodge and the work y'all are trying to do?
3: We need people to help spread the word and we need money we have we have enough to finish the buildings um, and then we need appliances we need kitchen equipment we, uh, we need wheelchair ramps we need decking we need boats trailers motors gear for fishing um, We need support. You know, we we we're going to be working on donations for the rest of our lives. You know, this is something that getting up and running is crucial. But then we need to remain up and running. We, we, you know, our electric bill, our our food bill, our fuel for the boats. We need we need corporate sponsors. You know, Kohler has donated twenty thousand five hundred dollars of our fixtures, as well as, you know, a sixty-inch zero-turn commercial-grade mower you know but we could use more corporate sponsors you know a yearly sponsorship kind of thing um we need money and we need people to help spread the word and that's that's what we need more than anything else
1: well and it sounds like you could use money but you could also use stuff but i'm going to throw out a suggestion and that is if you're someone that thinks you can help with stuff contact these folks first and find out if the stuff you have is the stuff they need because, Please. yeah, and I'm sure that it might be like, yeah, we can use that. We can use that. We can use that. But no, don't, don't, don't do that when right. it comes to stuff. And it's, it, cause right. it's, it's one of those things that sometimes people think they're helping, but they're not with, with stuff. Uh-oh. 100%. But the right stuff can be better than money.
3: Yes, yes. Oh, very true. Because, you know, with material donations and supplies, that's that fewer dollars we need to collect. You know, we just had somebody donate eight pallets of of materials. However, probably six of those eight pallets are things that we can't use. So now we have to go through and try to determine, I mean, it's going to take a good bit of time to weed through the items and see what we can use and what we can't use and then trying to store it and all that kind of stuff. So you're 100% right. It has to be the right kind of stuff.
1: And let me just say, I think there's something else people in the area might be able to do specifically, and that's like you're talking about these guys going fishing and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I have a, a guy down here that I guarantee you if he was in your neck of the woods would say, I'll take yeah, I'll take guys out fishing one one day a month. He's right, a professional guide. He's one of my best friends. He's a he's a, a prior service marine. Uh, he's an amazing man, and I'll I bet you there's someone like him in your area. So, not only can organizations like Dark Horse use money and stuff, they can use people that are willing sure. to help. You know, sure. so it, I mean, it would be difficult for my buddy Omar to do that from you know East Texas. Yeah. But I'll bet you there's someone. I mean, with the number of people listening to this, there's somebody in the area that didn't even know y'all were there until right now. Whatever you can do, man, because I'll tell you something, when someone does something like that for you as a veteran, it's more than the thing, it's that someone gives a shit. That's right. And that's yeah. what I love about what y'all are doing. Y'all could kind have of just, you know, hey, we're going to raise money and give it to some place, right? right? Y'all decided you're going to do something and create an experience for people. Right. And and that experience is what these guys need. They, you know, there are organizations, all they do is try to help these guys find a job. Great. And there's guys, that's all they need. But there are people, what they really need is they need time and they need space. Right. And, and the fact that y'all are doing that is is is, is so huge. You guys want to tell folks how to learn more about what you're doing, how to get involved, how to help?
3: Well, we are Dark Horse Lodge on Facebook, and we have a website, which is darkhorselodge.org. And people are more than welcome to – we have a contact um, tab on our website where people can reach out. And even on Facebook, you know, they can make donations on our Facebook page which is cool because Facebook charges for a 501c3 which is what we are uh zero fees which is cool. Um, and then we have a PayPal button on our on our website and an address if somebody wants to send a check or if they want to give us a call um, and donate time or or materials or monetary any kind of donation um you know, we are certainly uh, willing to entertain whatever people are willing to to help us out with. We we just need help. And and even if just spreading the word is the most people can do, that's invaluable because we never know. And we've said this from the very beginning. We never know when that next person that hears about us could be the person to turn it completely around and, um, you know, help us be open within a couple of months. We never know.
1: And I'll add to to ways that people can help. So when I asked the question what Dark Horse 25 was and and busted on Kurt for numbers being hard, the answer I actually thought I was going to get was another way people can help, and that is Nicole Sauce, who is one of the most awesome people I've ever met. Very much um, at Hollow Roast Coffee I set up a Dark Horse Twenty Five Coffee and yes. uh, it's twenty bucks a pound and it's and five bucks from every pound goes to support veterans at Dark Horse Lodge. This and, is true. and 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 you know hey guys, guess what? You get a discount at <laughs> Hollow Roast, but not on Dark Horse Twenty Five. It's there's a purpose to this. And so there are so many ways that y'all can help. And oh. and I really call this audience at this point, do what you can because never lose sight of the fact that when we're talking about veterans we're talking about people right it, it's so easy to take a group of uh, a group and kind of make them off into this thing and lose sight of the fact that we're talking about is helping people here I've been through some stuff that's right again if you haven't you I can't explain it to you you're not going to understand it you're never going to understand it but you can feel it and you can empathize with it and you know, having a couple that, that lost a, a son, again, is is hard for me to even get my head around. You know, my problems with my 30-year-old son is do more, you know, you know instead of like he's not here. And that really drives it home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Kurt, I may make fun of you because you're a Marine, and that's what soldiers <laughs> do. We make fun of Marines. We we ask yeah. things like what blue tastes like and expect that's you to right. say Say the sky, and you can't even come up with that. You say it tastes like blue. Uh, <laughs> but I man, totally I, I, I appreciate use army
2: jokes right now if I could remember them. But again, <laughs> I, I, I got I'm totally defenseless on that. Sorry. Yeah, you, you know you can't count
1: past five because I'm on hand. But but uh, actually, some of the best people in the world I know are Marines, and and you're among the top because of what you're doing here and the willingness. To to risk your own life because you know, flying in thermals with a fan that's no, <laughs> that's yeah. what you're doing but it does bring <laughs> awareness and the two of y'all I've I've really enjoyed it um, this is one of the very few interviews over twelve years that I've been willing to do uh, after hours to accommodate and it was certainly worth doing I, I really you. appreciate both y'all and and I, I hope my audience will step up and do what they can to support y'all
3: we're grateful for no your doubt. time thank you. Yeah.
1: Well, with that great interview, um, I'm just going to say, if you you like what you heard today, consider supporting the Dark Horse Lodge. And if not, consider supporting someone that does this type of work. And and again, I know that there is a segment of this audience that's very anarchistic, uh, voluntarist, much as I am, that sometimes will look at anything connected to the state and its systems and just not want anything to do with it. But I'm going to tell you that the, the number one group of people growing the movements of anarchism, libertarianism, and anti-war are veterans. There, there's There's probably no group that's contributing more to the growth of this segment of society than veterans. And it's because we have seen the futility and the stupidity that is war, where others have not. Those are words of Dwight Eisenhower, by the way, as well. The futility and the stupidity of war. So if you really want to move the world away from a world of conflict and war, it may seem counterintuitive, but the people that are your best allies are veterans. Because they're the ones that know the reality on the ground. They they know the futility and the stupidity of war. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I want to remind you, uh, I don't really have an item of the day for you today. I've been putting them out in the daily mail, um, but the way I'm recording, like, I did all the shows this week in a day and a half, so I, I don't have them prearranged. But you can always support the show by doing your online shopping where at tspaz.com. And kind of a little call out as well. Hey, you know, if you want to stay in touch with all the things that I'm doing all the time, All you gotta do is subscribe to the Daily Mail. Just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on subscribe. Fill out a form. You'll get one email a day. That's it. It'll have some text and some links in it. I don't, I don't even send like, you know, fancy ones with all kinds of graphics and crap and who knows what's buried in there. I send, you know, two, three, four bullet points with a link. That's it. And I send it once a day manually. So there's no confusion anymore. I used to do it automated and sometimes we would get three emails and then get pissed off or whatever. So that's, that's it. And, and I never give away anybody's information. I have never uh, sold access to my list or a single piece of information from my list to anybody in over 12 years. I damn sure I'm not going to start now. So if you want to be a subscriber to the Daily Mail, uh, don't worry about getting any email from anybody other than me. And if you ever want out, don't complain about it or whine about it or report it as spam or whatever stupid shit some of y'all do. Just click unsubscribe. And if you can't get it to unsubscribe, email me and say, hey, here's my name and my email I'm on the list with. Please turn me off. I'll be happy to do it. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and talk about our song of the day today. Um, I was trying to think of a song today to kind of key in on the veterans concept. And in a little bit different way, you know, I didn't want to do something that's kind of a sappy ballot to the soldier or something. And what we talked about today was what what soldiers, Marines, et cetera, deal with when they come home the rest of their life. And I think what often gets left out of the discussion in the world of the veteran is the time before and after service, the total story of the human life, because that's what's actually important, the human being behind the story. And when I thought about it that way, one of my favorite songs immediately came to mind. It's by a guy named Jamie Johnson, who I just love, and it's called In Color. And it starts out in the Great Depression, when the, the grandpa in the story is a little kid, and it goes through the war, and it continues with after the war. And this is just one of the most beautiful, heartfelt, and real songs that I've ever heard. Is it based on a real story? Like, when it was written, was there an actual person in mind? Is this a real story of what happened? I don't know. I don't even care. I've never researched it because the story's real. This story is real. Maybe the names or the exact places change, but this story is the real story of thousands and thousands of men who grew up in a tough time, fought a terrible war, came home and put their lives back together. And then built something really amazing. That's what I want for the people that are coming home now. That same opportunity. With that, it's been Jack Spierkoe with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
0: I said, Grandpa, what's this picture here? It's all black and white and ain't real clear, is that you there? He said, yeah, I was a lover time for tough back in 35 That's me and Uncle Joe just trying to survive A cotton farm and a Great Depression If it looks like we were scared to death Like a couple of kids just trying to save each other should have seen it in color Oh, and this one was taking overseas In the middle of hell In 1943 In the wintertime You can almost see my breath That was my tail gunner Johnny McGee, he was a high school teacher from New Orleans, and he had my back right through the day we left. If it looks like we were scared to death, like a couple of kids just trying to save each other. You should have seen it in color. Should have seen it in color This one is my favorite one This is me and grandma Summer sun all dressed up The day we set our vows You can't tell here But it was hot that June and That rose was red And her eyes were blue And just look at that smile I was so proud That's a story of mine Right there in black and white. And if it looks like we were scared to death, like a couple of kids just trying to save each other, you should have seen. You're the same.